Are you one of the 1.5 million Georgians without health insurance? Visit GeorgiaAccess.gov to connect with the resources to find affordable private and public health care options. You may be eligible for financial assistance programs, including Medicaid and Peach Care for Kids. Even healthy people need coverage. An unexpected medical emergency can hurt you and your wallet. Open enrollment for health insurance plans ends January 15th, so don't wait. Visit GeorgiaAccess.gov today. Hello and welcome to the Full Spectrum Holistic Health Podcast. This podcast is all about holistic health, what it is, various holistic and alternative health therapies, and how those may help you to be a healthier and happier person. Thanks for choosing to listen today. I know there are many podcasts out there for you to choose from, and I'm glad you are here. I'm the host for the podcast, Dr. Anthony Burton. I'm a Reiki master, EFT therapist, meditation teacher, and a shamanic practitioner. My goal is to help people be healthier in body, mind, and spirit, and that's why I'm here. A large part of what I do is educational in nature because so many people are unaware of the power and efficacy of various holistic and alternative therapies. In these podcasts, we'll hear stuff that will inform you, enlighten you, and help energize and balance you. Of course, it won't always be only my opinions and ideas because occasionally I will be interviewing knowledgeable and interesting guests from a variety of areas of holistic and complementary health practices. So kick back and relax, open your mind, and listen. Spectrum Holistic is a complementary health and wellness business located in Northwest Georgia, USA. Check out the website at www.spectrum holistic.com for more information. Mark, this 20-something who just finished college, has been having second thoughts about getting married. So he gets violently ill on his wedding day. Charlene is meeting her potential in-laws for the first time. Scary times. And she doesn't think they're going to like her. So she gets a raging migraine. Now Frank, in charge of, say, widget development, a big corp, sees big changes coming in the organization with a new CEO. But he knows his performance hasn't been great, and he fears for his job. So he develops an ulcer. On the other side of that coin, though, is the athlete who is determined to perform and because of that determination, beats her personal best in a competition and wins the gold medal. And there is the person who, against all odds, sets his sights on regaining use of his legs after a horrible accident, even though the doctors don't give him much hope, and yet he still succeeds. Scientists have shown that when we think about some event happening, whether it's an event that happened in the past that we're replaying in our heads or something that in the future that hasn't happened yet, but that we anticipate happening, the chemicals and the signals, the neural signals in our brain and our body act the same as if that event actually is happening right then and there. That's one of the reasons that PTSD is so hard on people who suffer from it because when they have that memory 
It's very intense. And their body goes through the same kind of terror and shock and agony that it went through at the time that the event happened. Now, researchers, they've studied brainwave patterns that show that people who are imagining event, whether it's a pleasurable event or a painful one, display brainwave patterns that mimic what happens in the brain when the real thing happens. Now, this is not something new. Performance coaches have known for years that visualization techniques, which are sometimes they also call them guided imagery, can help athletes to get over the hump. In other words, they can surpass their previous limitations in, oh, I don't know, speed or distance or strength. And when I, I know when I studied martial arts, we were taught to punch through the target, not to punch at the target or to kick at the target. We punch through it. In other words, we were supposed to aim at some point on the other side of whatever we were trying to punch or kick and mentally see, in other words, visualize our fist or foot going all the way to that point through the target. And it works. Yeah, it's not easy the first time, but once you get past that mental mindset of, oh, I'm just going to hit the surface of the target, instead, I'm going to go through it, you pass up the mind's initial resistance, it really does work. I want to give you a couple of examples. Here's first the first example. Emily Cook was a veteran American freestyle skier and a three times Olympian. So she, you know she's a winner. She's done well. She used a multi-sensory approach to visualization that helped her on the slopes. She would uh, record this uh, visualization in a verbal script on a tape recorder, and then she would play it back later while she was doing things. She says, uh, I would say, I'm standing on the top of the hill. I can feel the wind at the back of my neck. I can hear the crowd. And with all that, she's kind of going through all these different senses. And then she's actually going through what she wanted to do for the perfect jump. She would say, I turn down the, run, the in run. I stand up. I engage my core muscles. I look at the top of the jump and so on. And she visualized and she actually verbalized it out loud on this tape and recorded it so she could hear it exactly how she intended for the jump to turn out. Now, unless you're a skier or a fan of skiing, you might not have heard of Emily Cook. But I'm sure if you have followed the Olympics at all, you know who Michael Phelps is. Michael Phelps is one of the most winning Olympian swimmers of all time. He used guided imagery to be his best. His coach, a guy named Bob Bowman, consistently made guided imagery a part of Michael's training. Bowman said that he told Phelps to construct a mental videotape. Now, I remember this was in the days before DVDs and streaming videos, so videotape was the best thing he could come up with, of how the swim would go. He was supposed to visualize every step of a winning swim and even go as far as, you know, all the way to the end of the swim and visualizing the victory celebration afterwards. Bowman said he even had Phelps play this mental videotape while he was practicing swimming in the pool. 
According to Bob Bowman, he would tell Phelps, Michael, put in the videotape. Of course, he wasn't the only one. Uh, there's a Dr. Patrick Cohen, a sports psychologist at Peak Performance Sports. He talks about visualization as a way of conditioning your brain for successful outcomes. He describes it as sort of a, a pregame walkthrough, a rehearsal for what the athlete wants and what they expect to happen. So when an athlete or anybody uses visualization to strongly picture, well, say, for example, how they will perform in a given situation, they set up the pathways in their brain, the neural pathways, to carry the signals that will help that outcome to come to pass. It's sort of like you know, priming a board to accept the paint later. It makes the process easier and smoother by tracing out the path in advance for the signals to go. But enhancing sports performance isn't the only reason to use visualizations or guided imagery. They can be useful for a variety of things like combating anxiety or controlling pain or building strength or even speeding the healing of the human body. Guided imagery is often used as a part of meditation practice called guided meditation. And either in, in those cases, either a live person or recording, often accompanied by uh, soft music or some kind of sound effects in the background like running water or the ocean, creates a verbal tour of someplace relaxing or maybe simply creates an atmosphere of relaxation while feeding thoughts that lead toward a particular goal. Whether that goal might be sleeping well, um, combating anxiety, getting ready to face the day, or whatever. Using visualization, whether guided or otherwise, to control pain is pretty similar to that. The person leading the visualization, whether it's live or recorded, leads the listener in ideas and thoughts to help overcome the pain. It might be something like, oh, with each breath you exhale, you feel a little bit of the pain leave your body with the breath. You see the pain in your mind's eye as a dark gray vapor that exits your mouth, nose, and vanishes into the air, and things like that. The script read by the visualization leader may be generalized so it works upon pain anywhere in the body, or it may be very, very targeted. These sort of visualizations encourage the person using them to not rely completely upon the words of the visualization leader, but to personalize and make them their own. The person listening to the visualization may be instructed to continue exhaling until they don't see any more of that great vapor. Or they may be told to focus on, say, an imaginary candle flame until a particular point of pain reduction has been reached. Uh, now, honestly, nobody I know is saying that you can drop all pain treatments, uh, you know, any other things like drugs or whatever, in favor of guided visualizations. But they are part of a toolbox to use whenever pain presents itself especially in the case of chronic pain. This is one thing I really like about the work I do. I'm a Reiki master, a meditation teacher, an EFT or tapping practitioner. I'm a shamanic practitioner. I use sound therapy in the form of forks, tuning forks, uh, singing bowls and drums and music. I use whatever is appropriate for the given client and the situation. 
I like having a variety of tools in my toolbox and guided visualizations or guided meditations are some of the tools that I use to help my clients. All right, now let's talk about using visualization to build strength. And I'll be honest, I only read about this research recently and it surprised me a little, not because of the results, but because someone actually said, hey, let's do this research because it's quite often that research into unusual fields like energy medicine and so on just doesn't happen. More than one clinical researcher and psychologist weighed in on the idea. For example, there's a, uh, a PhD and a clinical psychologist and adjunct professor at Columbia University Teachers College in New York City, and her name is Tracy Stein. She said this, psychologists have known for decades that the images you create in your mind can have a potent effect on your body, and now researchers are proving it. Cleveland Clinic, for instance, did some research. Scientific researchers there performed an experiment where they had volunteers perform mental contractions of the abductor muscle in their little finger over the course of 12 weeks. Now, that sounds weird. What does it mean? Well, the abductor muscle is the muscle that allows you to spread your fingers apart. You know, when you spread your hand, when you pull them back together, when you spread them out, that's the abductor muscles. And I think the reason, reason they chose this is because it was easy to set up. It was easy to have someone do a, an exercise so that they would, you know, move their little finger outward against some kind of measurement device that would measure the force they were exerting. And easy to do. So they did it over a period of 12 weeks. And a mental contraction means this. They would visualize without actually doing the action. So they would put their hand in a position, but they wouldn't really move their finger out. They would leave it where it is and just think in their mind, okay, I'm moving my little finger out. I'm pushing hard against some resistance. And they also did some mental, uh, some similar experiments with mental flexing of the elbow, but I just want to talk about the little finger right now. So they had this group of people. They were all young, healthy folks and they were doing these metal contractions. And they also had a control group of members who weren't doing anything. And they had a group that, who actually did finger strengthening exercises to strengthen the abductor muscles in their little fingers. I'm guessing they had some sort of rig where their hand was held motionless, except for the little finger, and it extended to the side against some sort of resistance, like a spring or an elastic band. I didn't see the rig, but I know it was done. Anyway, the interesting part is not that the group who performed the actual physical little finger exercises increased their strength. They increased their strength by 53%, and, you know, it's to be expected. If you exercise a muscle in your little finger uh, a lot every day for 12 weeks, yeah, you're probably going to increase the strength in it. But what's cool is the ones who merely imagined, they visualized exercising their little fingers mentally, they increased their little finger's abductor muscle strength by 35%. Now, that's not so different from the gain by the group who actually did the exercises and significantly more than the control group who experienced no gain in strength whatsoever. So essentially, for the mental contractions group, their minds were telling the muscles that they were working hard, even though they weren't doing anything. And because of this, the muscles responded by gaining strength. Now, unfortunately, this doesn't mean 
that you can give up leg day at the gym, lie back on the couch, uh, and pretend to be lifting weights, you know, doing leg curls and extensions, and you'd still get a tremendous amount of muscle bulk. Now, you might get some, but obviously you'd get more by actually going to the gym and working out with your legs. But let's think of this. Maybe you're stuck on a long car ride somewhere, and you really, really, you know, you, you, you haven't had a chance to get through your exercises, you're getting bored. You could mentally flex your legs, you know, while you're sitting in the car. Or maybe you are on this really, really time-consuming project at work for several days, and you want to do something to help keep the momentum going, even though you can't get to the gym. Mental exercises could help. But even more important than that, it shows promise for those people who are bedridden with illness and are trying to avoid muscle atrophy. And ditto for astronauts who are stuck in space, maybe in the International Space Station, which is notorious for causing muscle strength loss over an extended stay. Visualization, coupled maybe with some isometric exercises, could help these men and women keep more of their muscle strength when on those long-term stays. What about helping people to heal, though? Is visualization useful for that? In my experience, and more importantly, from some medical research, the answer is yes. But there's a problem. The problem, as I see it, is that guided visualization is hard to quantify and measure. You know, if I want to test a new drug, let's call it Habitol, I can randomly select 300 people and do a double-blind study, giving one half of the group a placebo and the other half the new miracle drug Habitol, and watch for the results over three months or so. And if you closely monitor the taking of the drug, you can be sure that all participants are doing what they're supposed to do. You know, but in guided visualization, how do we know? It's harder to determine whether Bob and Judy and Rajesh and Ermina are actually following along with the visualization. We have to rely on their reported participation. Yes, I did the visualization. I followed. I did the thoughts in my mind. Yes, because we can't see inside their minds. They may be thinking about dinner or the football game or that attractive new person who sits in the cubicle across from them at work, any number of things. So it's not really possible to to measure how well they are following the visualization in their heads. But even with that, there's been some research into how visualization can aid in healing. I found some great support for this in an article from Psychology Today, written by Dr. Clifford Lazarus. In the article, he talks about the hows and whys of the mind's influence on the body much more deeply than I want to share here or that I have time to share here. But I do want to draw a couple of points from the article and perhaps expand on them a bit. As noted in the experiment with strengthening the little finger muscles, we know the mind can affect the muscular system of the body. But it goes farther than that. One system that's vitally important for our healing and can be profoundly influenced by our mind is our immune system. There's a fairly new branch of science and medical science, actually. It's called psychoneuroimmunology. It's a real mouthful of a word. It's a term that was coined in 1975 by two researchers, Nicholas Owen, who was an immunologist, and Robert Ader, a psychologist. Essentially, 
PNI, which is an easier way to say psychoneuroimmunology. PNI refers to the fact that the mind, psycho part of it, can exert influence over the nervous system, the neuro part, that causes the immune system to respond, the immunology part. This means that thoughts can cause the nervous system to produce an immune response that can help protect us from disease as well as speed the healing of illnesses we may already have. The thing about using PNI effectively to help heal is that each visualization script needs to be tailored to the individual or to the illness or both. Each person is unique and their situation is unique. And it is the individual's brain that's, you know, directing the visualization. They're the one making all the thoughts in their head. So they need something that they can easily imagine and visualize. For example, in my own, in my own practice, this is personal stuff here. I had a client, a uh, colorectal cancer patient who was dealing with the effects of chemo. Now, originally, she came to me for help with dealing with the effects of the chemo. Because if you know anything about chemotherapy treatment, you know that, oh, it's rough. It's rough. It makes people sick at their stomach. It causes all kind of digestive issues and you know, hair falls out and stuff. Um, so originally, I was giving her Reiki to help deal with that, the unpleasant side effects of the chemo. It was helping. It was. But after a couple of sessions, I asked her why we didn't directly attack the cancer. She agreed. So I asked her specific questions to help us build the visualization. In your mind, what does the cancer look like to you? How is it shaped? What color is it? Does it make any sounds? What does it smell like? So using her answers, I asked her to visualize the cancer just as she had described it to develop this really vivid picture of it in her mind. And then as I was giving her Reiki, I told her to imagine the Reiki energy as bright sunlight shining onto the cancer, drying it up, shrinking it, shriveling it, causing pieces of it to just peel off and you know fall away. I told her to imagine a cool breeze moving through her, refreshing her and blowing away all the dried up bits of cancer. And she was to continue visualizing this all during the Reiki treatment. At the end of each session, I would ask her to take a mental peek at her cancer, you know, to visualize how it looked at the end of the session. And she always reported that it looked smaller and less robust. And she said the sounds it made were weaker, like the cancer was struggling. Now, I, I don't claim any credit for helping this client. I really don't. But before we stop treatment, her regular CEA test performed by the oncologist showed that her CEA levels had dropped to nearly zero. It was less than one. And the same measurement as a person chose who does not even have cancer. Now, CEA is a specific type of protein that shows up in the blood of people who have specific kinds of cancer as well as certain other conditions. And with her, they were using that as a measurement to see how cancer-free she was. Of course, as a cautious oncologist, the doctor recommended that she continue treatment, though on a less frequent basis, and I don't blame him. It's better to be careful, you know. Many times, less enlightened physicians will try to use the mechanistic reductionist approach that treats the body as sort of an organic machine 
that you simply must give the right fuel and the right maintenance and it's just going to work the way it should like a pickup truck but these doctors either neglect or disbelieve or maybe they just don't know about the strong and vital connection between our thoughts and our bodies now i can't fault some of them many of these old school doctors went through medical school when such a mind-body connection was laughed at or treated as a myth but now many reputable schools of medicine have separate departments that deal specifically with mind-body medicine such well-known and prestigious institutions as harvard medical school the benson henry institute georgetown university and others all have programs in mind-body medicine okay um pretty much been talking a lot here uh, let me talk a little bit about a bonus offering I have for anyone who might be suffering with pain for a back injury I have a client who injured her back some time ago four vertebrae in her lumbar region L2 through L5 were injured and the discs were effectively just pretty much destroyed there so she now has screws and rods in those vertebrae she has limited range of motion and is often in a great deal of pain I treat her with Reiki and sound therapy, and she always goes away from the treatment, saying she feels better. But I wanted to give her some extra help, so I created a short guided visualization for her. She's been listening to it a great deal, sometimes three times a day. We're waiting until her next visit with her physician or surgeon to see if he notices any difference before we say anything definitive about whether or not it's helping her. I mean, she says she feels better, but, you know, it's always best to have any kind of improvement verified by a physician. So if you or someone you know has a back injury and would like to try this guided visualization, I am placing a version of it on this platform as a separate download. You can download it after you, know, after you read, listen to this one. And it lasts about 20 minutes. It does not mention my client by name nor specify exactly where in the back her injury is located. So anyone with an injured back could possibly benefit from its use. I want you to feel free to download it, share it with anyone you feel may benefit from it. But I want you to consider this visualization as a form of therapy. In other words, it's not going to magically heal anyone the first time a person listens to it. It's not an incantation or a spell. It is a process. And there are no guarantees as with any therapy. If you go to a physical therapist, usually takes several visits, and sometimes it helps a lot, sometimes it helps a little. But I'll tell you, as someone who's been in pain from a badly injured back a couple of times in the past, I can tell you, anything that might give some relief or speed up the healing, as long as it isn't dangerous to me, man, I would have been happy to try it when I was in pain. Thanks for being here and listening to the podcast today. I trust it has been interesting, informative, and thought-provoking. If you did find it interesting, please be sure and return for another episode and tell your friends about it too. I'd love it if you did that. It really helps me out. You can share directly from most podcast platforms. It would be really great if you followed or subscribed to the podcast too. Most podcast platforms have one option or the other. If you want to tell me that you like the show or that you hate it, that 
you agree with me or disagree with me or anything else, really, I still want to hear from you. Leave a voice message if your particular podcast platform allows that, or send me a message through my website at www.spectrum-holistic.com. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and keep an open mind. Namaste. Fentanyl. It could be hiding anywhere, including in your house, including in your medicine cabinet, or maybe at a friend's house when you're hanging out, playing games, and get offered a pill. Don't take chances. If a drug didn't come from a pharmacy directly to you, you can find fentanyl using a simple strip you can pick up at your local pharmacy. Don't take it until you test it, because fentanyl can be hiding anywhere. Brought to you by the Georgia Department of Behavioral Health and Mental Disabilities.